You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, he will, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Welcome to Free City Camping Church. Um, we are putting uh, camping on the forefront of all of this. And I feel like people are getting more equipped uh, for this. I see new chairs. I saw a porta potty earlier. No kidding. Um, but uh, man, if you're with us for the first time, we just want to welcome you. And in this season, uh, we are going to be meeting outside. And uh, with all the uh, elements that could happen, man, we appreciate you being patient. You know, the, uh, some of the elements, uh, the very first uh, Sunday we came out here, there was like a devil crow. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was like mocking me. Um, and uh, so we're going to bring BB guns out and uh, we'll do what we can. And then also just uh, patient with parking. Um, we're already using some overflow um, areas. And so we have more room to park. Um, and so feel free um, to bring people um, and so I want to start off, like we look at this, and within the text, uh, we see kind of a raging of a storm. You know, you see two elements that are clashing together, where it talks about the, the earth, and it talks about mountains, you know, things that are certain. And then on the other side, it talks about things that, that aren't certain. It talks about things that move and shake, the oceans, you know, raging about. And I want to ask this question, and this question is a reach because we are in Kansas, but have you ever been in a storm on the open water? And I realize, like, we're like the most landlocked people on the planet, but, like, picture it, if you will. Have you ever been in a storm on the open water where the, the raging of the wind and the waters, there's not the stability at your feet? I, uh, I was doing student ministry out in western Oklahoma, also very, very landlocked. And uh, I, 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 I want to be someone who fishes, but I don't fish. I don't have the patience for it. But every once in a while, I get invited to fish with people who fish. And so one of my students, Brian Devinney, he asked me to go fishing with him. And my fishing experiences are kind of always like this. Um, I have to watch out of the corner of my eye what they're doing so I don't look stupid because I don't know what I'm doing. And so sometimes people like spit on bait. So I'm like, well, yeah, we got to spit on the bait. You know, I mean, I don't know if that helps or not. But like out there on the water, I didn't realize we were getting in a boat. And so we got in this tiny little aluminum boat in a mid-sized pond, which means small, and we went out with a five horsepower little trawling motor and we were fishing on the open water and the craziest thing happened we were catching fish like this never happens to me 
Like I realized in that moment, this is why people like to do that. This is fun. And you know, I, he would name the fish when they came in. Like, look at that perch. I'm like, yeah, perch, awesome. And you're like, you don't want to keep that. Okay, yeah, I don't want to keep that. And so just watching what, and then all of a sudden our phones alerted us that severe weather was coming. Now, we, we, had a, we had this crisis a moment, like severe weather is coming, but we're catching fish. And so we stand up in the boat, you know, carefully, and we look around. And you need to realize, like, this is western Oklahoma. This is like western Kansas. Anywhere you stand, you can see 3.1 miles. There is nothing but the curvature of the earth to stop what you can see. And we saw nothing. So we just kept fishing. And so we just kept fishing 10, 15 minutes go by. And then all of a sudden, like the wind stopped. And if you're from Western Kansas or Western Oklahoma, anytime there's no wind, it freaks you out. Like you realize, you think something is about to go down. And all of a sudden there was no wind. And we kind of look over a row of pine trees and we see this dark cloud forming. And then we kind of look at each other like, okay, maybe it's time to go. And so we turn the bow of the boat. That's the front. I looked it up. We turn the bow of the boat toward the ramp and we slam on the five horsepower trolling motor and we start to make a little bit of progress in that direction. But all of a sudden, all at once, it seemed like the storm came in on this just rush of wind and this sheet of, of just water and rain in this moment that our little aluminum boat and our five horsepower engine had nothing to do. And we were desperate to get to the shore. Like we were thinking we might die. And I had this moment of like, man, we are going to be those idiots that die in a pond that's maybe six feet deep. It's going to be us. And we're taking on water. And I, guys, this pond is not even as big as this parking lot. It's not big, but we just cannot get to where we need to go. And the panic starts to rise. And he actually looks at me and says, should we jump out and swim? And I'm like, I don't know if you abandon ship on a pond. I just don't know if you do that. But we finally get to the end. And man, this thing happened. The second I stepped out of the boat onto solid ground, the storm was still raging. The storm was still happening. I mean, we were in an aluminum boat on the water and there was lightning all around. And like, I'm not a scientist, but that's bad. I mean, the storm was still raging. But as soon as I stepped on the ground, something stable, I felt safer. See, in this text, the psalmist, what he's doing is he's saying, man, we are putting these two things against each other. Like there is the immovable, impregnable, solid ground, even mountains, and it is under attack by the restless, menacing sea. That's the tension of, of this text. Something that you would say, surely, sure, surely, it's angry. Surely that mountain will save me. And it's talking about mountains crumbling into the sea. It's talking about something being undone. The safety and immovability of the earth and much less mountains are being attacked by the uncertainty and threatening destruction of the sea. And it begs the question that we need to ask, what do you run to when the certainty of your world is threatened by chaos and instability and doubt? Where do you go? When the mountains of your life don't feel safe any longer, when they are shaken and your life is being undone, where do you go? When your life is threatened to undo, 
Where do you run? Where can you be safe when everything is falling around you? Now the psalm is going to say there is one place you can run. The psalm is going to say in this apocalyptic destruction, when it is at your door, there is one certain place that you can run. And it's not just for end times, though this is definitely talking about the time when the world will be undone where we can run. But it's also for us in day life. When our life feels the undoing nature of what's around us, there is a place that we can run. Because the Bible is clear. One day this world will be unmade in the similar venue of how it was made. The text says by the word of God. But it's also for us now. I just want to ask this, like, do you feel uncertainty in you or around you? Like, let's just, let's just take a survey of, like, 2020. Australia was burning, and it might still be burning. It just fell out of the news. We don't know. It, it goes on, like, Kobe Bryant and his daughters died in a helicopter crash, and now Chadwick Boseman, like, he died from cancer. Like, the Boy Scouts filed for bankruptcy. Tiger King happened, and we watched it. The coronavirus hit... And it took many lives with it. It canceled the NBA and the Olympics and normal school and most of college football. Like things that we thought are certain, that feel certain, are all of a sudden shaking. There's rumors of the, of the, the murder hornet. I mean, have you seen that thing? It's the size of a chihuahua. I mean, the unshaking nature of, of our lives, the things that we run to that we think surely are safe, the mountains that we might run to, whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's past victories or 401k or whatever, the Bible is going to say those things are not suitable to keep you safe. And out of all of those things, also what's been among us is this racial tension you know, in 2014, I, I was in Texas, and uh, that was when um, Michael Brown, the shooting of Michael Brown happened. And it, it's by no means the, the first that, I mean, if we look at it, there's this predictable thing that happens. Like a black man is shot under questionable circumstances. People are horrified. Some are angry, and they, they feel unsafe. And, and then uh, what happens after that, you know, others on the other side persist. Oh, we got to wait for the facts. And then we just argue about whether racism is still a thing, if it's still alive or if it's in the past. Like that predictable pattern. How many times have we seen that? But this was, this was a different moment for me because I was on a pastoral staff and one of my good friends now was, was a black man. And, you know, his name was Valentine and he was a pastor too and we worked together. And so in this moment after this happens, I just said, Valentine, we just, I want to talk it. Like, I just want to hear what you think. I want you to hear what you, I think. I, I just want to hear it. And so he says, hey, how do you see this? And, and the first thing I said was, man, I, I, the way I see it, like, I, I see it like this. Like, man, if you don't do what police officers say, bad things are going to happen. How do you see it? And he looked at me, and Valentine's a huge man. And he says, what I see is in that moment, Michael Brown's life was cheap. 
And then he went on and described like several of his experiences personally uh, with the law. And then he says, hey, listen, after the police shoot a black man, the detail, he said this, the details do matter. And, and they matter for exoneration and for the court of law. But they highlight an, an existence. They highlight an existence that some people feel and other people's don't. They highlight, it's like a boiling point of a relationship that has historical precedent for being on edge. And it becomes this like show and tell moment that says there's something unsafe here. And then he looks at me and says, hey, listen, when the police show up for you, you think, man, they're coming to help. And he said, right or wrong, that's not how the black community always feels. And so I started like to wrestle with these things. Like question, like have they come to help? Are they here to help me or not? And so just the existence of like this common dialogue, like the friction that it makes, like it just says there's a lot of damage here. Like, let me ask you this. If you were like in a restaurant and you, and you were watching a couple and that couple, like she starts to express like, hey, I feel unsafe or I feel uncertain about our relationship or I feel it's like starts to express like some uncertainty. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, really? And he says, and he starts to kind of say like A equals B and B equals C. So A equals C. And he starts to just point out the facts. Like, what would you conclude about that relationship? Like, like you would conclude about the relationship, there's something in the past that's not good, and this is the moment that it's coming out. Like you might even agree with the facts of the moment, but you would say there's something wrong in this relationship. Something is hurting it. And then what if you had a moment to counsel that guy in his marriage? You might say things like this. Hey, man, when that comes up, you need to be still and listen. It's not just that moment. There's something that's boiling under all of those moments. He would say, there's something in the past that's unhealthy and it's plaguing the present. And if we're going to get through that, we're going to need to be still and listen. Do you feel uncertainty? Do you feel like the undoing of things? Like this text it's asking these questions like, do you feel uncertainty around you? Do you feel the threat of your life being undone? And when you feel that, where do you run? You see, the, the Bible has an answer, but your life has a predictable pattern. And the question is, are they the same? Like, I want to look at three areas in this text. Three areas in this text. And so we're going to look at first, like crisis, then refuge, and then we're going to look at God's powerful word. And so when we look at crisis, it's mountains versus sea in verses one through three. And then when we look at refuge, it's my choice in refuge where I run, verses four through seven. And then we're going to look at God's powerful word. And it says, you need to be still. And then it says, you need to know something. When there is uncertainty, and so as, as we kind of get started with this, like a little bit of an overview, because it actually fits in with the text, like where we've been, like if you remember, we've been in the second book of the Psalms and starting uh, chapter 41, but then we have 42 and 43. And in 42 and 43, we have an individual like undone, a life that is undone individually. And he cries out, he longs to be with God. He says, why is my soul cast down? Hope in God, I need God. I need to be with God in verses f five through seven. 
And then in Psalms 44, the psalmist is like, it's not just me, it's also my people. And he looks across the nation and he says, there is an undoing among the nation. And so he cries out and he says things like this. Can you hear us? Verse one. Why have you rejected us? Verse nine. Why have you turned away from us? Verse 10. Why are we being slaughtered? Verse 22. And then to the end of the psalm, he says, rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Verse 26. An undoing inside of you, an undoing in all the institutions around you. And then the answer for this undoing is Psalms 45, and it's this coming Messiah King who will be united with us if we forsake our former allegiances and look to him. And in that progression, we learn that we're afflicted and broken on the inside Our collective institutions are flawed and insufficient to fix the problem. And then the answer God gives us is this wedding-like union with Jesus. And then we jump to verse 46, and there's this place. A union with Jesus brings us to this place of stability called the city of God. It's like, I live in this progression. Like, like when I feel lost on the inside, I run to outside things. When those outside things can't fix my problems, I finally turn and I look to Jesus in my best moments. And then the goal is that he takes me to a place of his unshakable promises. And so we see this pattern. You know, we also see like a structure. Look, look at the structure of this psalm. In the structure of this psalm, you see this word at the end of verse 3, 7, 11, Selah. Now, the exact meaning of that is lost in time, but all scholars that I've read, they all say it means something to like, we just finished a thought, now stop and contemplate. Think about it, Selah. And so it gives us the, it gives us the, the outline. You know, after verses 1 through 3, we're supposed to stop and contemplate the fear of life being undone. And then after verses four through seven, we need to stop and we need to contemplate. Where do I run in crisis? And then after verses eight through 11, we must question, do I take God at his word? What would it look like if I did? How would I feel about the present crisis in front of me? And then have the actions of God in the past earned my trust? And so let's get started. First crisis, the undoing in crisis. Verse one, this is a biblical confession. It could be a title for this because it doesn't seem to fit the verses that follow. It says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Like the trouble that we have now, he is present in it. This is a promise. When there is an undoing in our lives, when we need a place or we need strength to run to, he is present in our trouble. It's a biblical confession that is true, even when it doesn't feel true. This is why, like, this is why we have a Bible reading plan. This is why, I mean, we use stuff out of the Bible reading plan on, on Sunday. This is why, like, I talk about Bible reading plan. Like, like you need to be reminded of, like, the promises of God because there's going to be times and circumstances where things are shaken. And what happens is he starts off, he's about to describe, like, the apocalyptic undoing of what's going to happen to our world. But he starts off with this promise. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
This is why we come together for worship, even when it's camping style. We come together to sing the same truths, to remind our hearts that God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. We need this biblical promise of what it is because we live in a fallen world that is full of undoings. And so let's look at the undoings. Verse two, it says, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then it says, Selah. And Selah means this, we need to stop and we need to think about what this is. And this is definitely picturing like this apocalyptic undoing that is one day fully coming. Like you see this language in Revelation 6, 8, and 16. And then you see this confirmation like it's all coming back together in the city of God that this talks about in Revelation 21 that we just read. Like you see this undoing, but there's an undoing in the daily nature of life when we put our hope and the weight of our life on things that can't be stable for our life. It's putting at a place of like something that we think might be immovable, solid ground, but it's not stable for the torrent waters of life. Like, do you feel the unraveling of things that you hope in? As our world is undone, one day apocalyptically unmade, the people of God have a place to run to for safety that is immovable. In verses one through three, it tells us that there is no certain stability in this world because of the brokenness. If Think about where we've been, verse 42 and 43, or Psalms 42, 43, the brokenness that is inside of us. And then think about Psalms 44, the brokenness that is outside of us, in our nation, in our institutions, that we see cropping its head all the time. But there's a promise for us in the undoing world around us. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in our trouble. And it says, you need to stop and think about that. Does God feel safe to you? See, a lot of times there's circumstances of life where you'll say, I don't know. And the whole thing about the Psalms, like the great thing about being in the Psalms is the psalmist himself over and over, he looks at God and he starts with a promise. He says, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I know you say that, but now it feels like you can't hear me. I know you say you can reach me in your presence, but now it feels like you can't reach me. And so the question is, like, when God feels unsafe to you, do you acknowledge that and go to God with that? And so it starts off, we start off with crisis and the undoing that happens in crisis. And then look, look back at verse 4. What it goes is like in the undoing of crisis, there's a refuge. And we want to ask this question, like my choice in refuge, like where do I run? This says that there is a city, it's called the city of God that is strong and secure. Mountains may be undone and destroyed, but not this city. It is unshakable. It's an unshakable fortress. Kingdoms and nations, it's going to say, will totter. The earth itself will melt. But in God, we find safety. And so just for review, like we start with the promise, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Then we talk about all the instability of the world and then it picks up in verse four and it says, there is a river. 
Now, now just to be clear, like before it was talking about unshake, like things we think are unshakable, mountains and earth, and they are like in the path of destruction of oceans of waters. And he says, there are oceans of water that are destroying everything out here. But in the city of God, there's a river. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. See, the water out there, it's destroying the mountains in a sea of turmoil. But in the city of God, there's a river of gladness. It's not stagnant. It's continually flowing. And this is saying something that's really hard for our, our Western ears to hear. This is saying something about the wrath of God. It's going to unfold. This is saying something about the wrath of God, that the wrath of God crushes all the mountainous sin around us. But for the people of God, it's a source of life. Like it's going to say something really hard for us to hear. And it's going to say, why is that? And this is the answer. Verse five, it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her with the morning dawn, with the morning dawn. And so help is coming. Like how? Like, how are, are we in the midst of God and how does that help? It says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts, but the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then it says, Selah. It says, contemplate that. And so this says there's a place to run. It's the place where God is. It's the person of God. It's the city of God, a place that's safe. That says where we're supposed to run. But does the pattern of your life fit what the Psalms say? Like we need to ask the question, where do you run? When things in your life are uncertain and they threaten to undo, where do you run? You know, do you run to past successes? Yeah, yeah, right now it's not working out, but I, I've, it's worked out before. Or do you run to like your GPA? Or do you run to like a performance review? Or do you run to a bank account or IRA? Or do you run to a relationship? Or if the turmoil is that relationship, do you run to a new relationship? Do you start to drown the vision of that undoing with drunkenness, drugs, sex, or Netflix? Do you put all your hope in the next you know, residing president or, or political party. And like, I just, I want to say this, like there is not a Messiah on the ballot. Like there was, one time there was a Messiah on the ballot and we voted for Barabbas. Like that, it, you read it, it's fact. Like where do you run to? This is asking us to contemplate, like where do we go? You know, I, thinking about where do I run to? I could call it this, the land of at least I'm not. Like the place that I want to run to is the land of at least I'm not. And then I fill in the blank. Like when, when I feel insecure or when, you know, when things don't feel like they're going to work out, I want to run to the place of, well, at least I'm not an idiot like that guy, or at least I'm not a loser dad like him or a screw up like them or a bigot like that guy. I mean, nothing brings out the bigot in me than the bigot in you. Where do you run? What do you hang on to? The summer after my senior year, um, it was kind of a life-changing uh, time for me. Um, it just kind of, I mean, put it short, like uh, I, I invested my life in so many things that I thought would be secure and safe. Like if I get that, I'll be okay. 
you know, I, I just thought, man, if I could accomplish these type of things, you know, like student council uh, president or, you know, uh, homecoming king or voter most likely to succeed, if I could accomplish those kind of things, I'll be okay. And all of a sudden they were accomplished and no one cared. No one pulls out the yearbook, you know, it's like, hey, I knew this guy. No one does that. I don't know if people even have yearbooks anymore. I mean, if you look at your yearbook, like the thing people write, they're ridiculous. Don't ever change. I mean, that's an awful idea. But I mean, like, no one does it. And I remember finding this profound emptiness in me. Like, I think I was a Christian, but I was hanging on to all these other things that would validate me. And they kept coming up short. And I remember the first part of that summer, I just camp, I mean, free city camp, just like this. Uh, I, man, God really just encountered my life in a really profound way where I just kept hearing this in my heart, like, I have plans for you, but I don't need you. Like, that's what I felt like God was saying to me over and over. I have plans for you, but I don't need you. And just kind of wave after wave, kind of brushing over me, like this bitterness and this hurt was kind of falling off. And so, like, things in my life changed. I stopped partying, I stopped doing this, and I ended up losing a lot of friends in the process. Um, and so I just started working a lot. And uh, it was toward the end of that summer, uh, one of my friends, we got on our bicycles. We had cars, but we decided to ride a bike, you know. I, I, it was a thing. And so we decided to ride a bike. And we rode out to the spillway. And we thought, man, we're going to go out to the spillway, and we're going to swim in the spillway. And it had been raining a lot. And so we get out to the spillway, and we're at the top of it, and we see Ponca Lake flowing over the spillway. And it's a lot of water, but we can't see the bottom of it. And apparently our math skills were not very good because proportionally we didn't think how all this water was going to come together and what it might look at the bottom. And so we start to argue about, can we ride across it? And so it was like, of course I can ride across it. No, I'll get across it before you. And so Brian starts to ride across it. His tire hits the water and he's just swept away. And in that moment he swept away, he's like, you know, cursing. I can't say it, we're Christians. And he's cursing like, oh no, my bike is going to get scratched. And so I'm laughing because, oh, it's not that serious. He'll be fine. And I start running down the side of the spillway on the concrete barrier that's angled. And I get to the precipice of that moment where I can see the bottom of the spillway. And it, it, it's life-taking. Like the waters, like they coming from three different channels of the spillway, they converge together and in the middle it is peaking up like some 15 feet. And in that moment, like Brian just slips under the water and I think I don't have a roommate for college anymore. And so I throw my bike down, I start running down the spillway. I'm like, I'm going to rescue him. I need to rescue him. And I step on moss and I start slipping down the side. I mean, like the cartoons with the cat and the fingers trying to stop it. It's so slow, but I hit the water and I'm swept away. And by the time I had the same thought that I had on the pond, like, oh my goodness, we're gonna be those idiots who thought they could cross the spillway and we're gonna die. And our parents are gonna be like, wow, we're proud of them. And all of a sudden, like I get swept into that torrent water and I hit a concrete pile on breaker and I just hang on to it. And I'm barely above the water, and this is the only thing I have, and I'm hanging on with all my might, and I'm thinking, man, this is all I've got to save me. But the problem was, I couldn't hang on much longer. Like, in that moment, it didn't feel safe, but it's all that I had. Like, this is asking you to, where do you run? What do you do when what you're hanging on that felt safe at one point doesn't feel safe any longer?
What are you hanging on to? What do you think gives you like stability or purpose or identity? What do you think is going to give you satisfaction for this life? Or it's going to give you security for this life? What are you hanging on to? Because if you can't hang on to mountains, what do you think you can hang on to now? The text, it makes us deal with this crisis, the undoing in crisis. And do you not see the undoing of crisis all around you and inside of you? And then it takes us to this idea of like you can run to God. He is our ever-present help. He is there. But it makes us ask, like, what do I run to? The undoing of crisis, my choice and refuge, and then finally God's powerful word. In verses 8 through 11, as it gets to the end, verse 10, it's going to say, Be still and know. To run to God, there is something you have to know. There is something that you have to decide, and you need to stop and slow down just enough to know. And so God's powerful word, look at verse 8. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. You know, if we back up and look at verse six, it tells us how he does this. God does all of this with his powerful word in the same way that he spoke everything into existence in Genesis one and two. This is describing God speaking everything out of existence. It comes at the end of the time, but things are falling apart even now. Verse 10, it says, in all of that, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is a call for everyone who hears this. Every time this is out, this is a call for everyone who hears it. Everyone who hears it now, everyone who will hear it, like when revelation type stuff happens, this is a call for everyone who hears this to look deeper, to use your spiritual eyes to see that even in this desolation of earthly structures, God's works are good. This says that he will end all warring struggles and he in his ways will be exalted. So I ask again, how are the waters of God's wrath, a sea of destruction, pulling apart our broken world, but to God's people, they're a river of gladness? And the answer is, is God with us? Verse 11, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then it says again, Selah, contemplate. And this is how God's people have experienced God all through the scriptures and all through time that there is times of, of God's punishment and there is time of God's discipline. But when God is with us, it becomes a boast for us that there is safety. Like we see this exact analogy playing out in Genesis 7, like God's wrath came down in a global flood and everyone perished except those who were in the ark. 
The wrath of God crushed those beneath it, but those who were in the ark rose up on top of the wrath of God. First Peter 3 it uses this to tell how, how Jesus saves us. And then how baptism is a picture of this. In 1 Peter 3, verse 21, it says, Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a way to escape God's wrath in Genesis 7. It was a call. Whoever wanted to enter the ark, anyone who entered the ark was saved. And there's a call, a gospel call that goes out. Anyone who enters into Jesus is saved. God with us. See, why was Peter who wrote this? Why was he so sure of this? And I think it's because he survived a chaotic storm at sea with Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus leads them, the disciples, to cross the Sea of Galilee. And as they were crossing, this huge storm rises up. They start to panic. They start to think, God, where are you? They wake Jesus up and they say, do you even care that we're dying? Do you see what's going on all around us? Like you said, go across the sea and now we're going to die trying to cross the sea. It's your fault. You're leading us to our death. Do you even care? Jesus heard their cries. He stands up and he commands the store saying, peace, be still. And suddenly they were aware of something they got right and something they got wrong. See, they got this right. Like they turned to Jesus in the boat and they said, listen, can you help us? They got that right. But they turned to Jesus and they said, teacher, do you even care? And all of a sudden they realized this is not just a teacher. The wind and the seas obey him. This is something much, much more than that. And so all of a sudden they realized this is something different. And they said, in holy fear, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? You see, to be a Christian, you must make the same ask. Who is this Jesus? See, in the midst of a chaotic world, Psalms 46 remind us that God can calm the raging seas and trembling mountains and turn them into rivers of life running through the stable city of God that brings gladness. And all that is required on our part is that we stand still and we acknowledge that God is with us. But even more specifically, we have to acknowledge who is God with us. And if you've been in the right Bible reading plan, Isaiah 7, 14, and then it's repeated again in Matthew 1, 23, it tells us that Jesus is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Is that how you see Jesus? See, like, if you just see Jesus as a, as a teacher that can advise your life, when your life feels shaken, you might ask him, hey, could you give me some counsel? And you might even go a little bit further. You might even say, well, he's such a good teacher. Like, maybe I should look at his life and try to emulate those things. Like, he was a good guy. That doesn't get you to the city of God. See, a place of refuge and a a place to run to is not Jesus the good guy, it's Jesus God with us. And if if you're not there, 
Like we just invite you to what Psalms 46 invites you to. Selah, contemplate. Who is Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us see Jesus, who he is, God with us. And Lord, just even this, like you tell us, like the mountains will be tossed into the sea. Lord, you tell us that the the seas will rage, that the nations will rage. You tell us that there will be lots of instability, but there's a place that we can always run. And so, Lord, it's not that you haven't been truthful and you haven't been faithful. It's just that, Lord, we get scared when there's instability. Lord, we get scared when there's an undoing. And just like the disciples, we come to you and we say, do you even care? Do you even care that we're about to be swamped? Do you even care about the circumstances of our world right now? Do you even care? And Lord, you hear and you stand up and you silence things. Jesus, Lord, help us see you as Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, you're worthy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.